welcome to The Divorce Social with me, Samantha Baines, changing the conversation around divorce. This show is sponsored by Penguin in the Room. Penguin in the Room is an award-winning arts, marketing and social media management company. If you want to jazz up your socials and have someone Instagram and tweet for you, then here's your answer. Go to www.penguinintheroom.com. As always, hit subscribe to make sure you're updated about new episodes. And we love to hear from you on social media at DivorcePod and at Samantha Baines. You can also email us all the infos on our website, thedivorcesocial.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. This episode is with Joe Westwood, otherwise known as the codependency coach. And I've had some really interesting messages over the last few series from a lot of you talking about codependency, talking about being married to narcissists, talking about toxic scenarios. So I really wanted to find someone that we could sort of delve into some of that with, um, someone who could talk about their own breakup, but also coming from a coaching perspective, um, having done, you know, work on how to advise people through these situations. And Jo's really brilliant for that. She shares a lot of advice on her Instagram. Um, and we really dig deep here on her own breakup and her own toxic scenario, and then also useful practical tips for anyone who feels like they might be in a similar situation. So I hope this is useful for you all. It was useful for me and enjoy. I am joined by Joe Westwood, the codependency coach. Welcome to the Divorce Social. Thank you so much. I'm super excited to chat divorce. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you do genuinely look excited, which is nice. I actually am. I've been thinking about it all morning. And, um, you know, like in my work, I talk about relationships a lot, but I actually don't talk about divorce a lot, even though it's a big part of my experience. So yeah, I'm super excited to get into it. Oh, amazing. So uh, how do you feel when I say to you, you're on the divorce social? Yeah, just really excited. I think it's a, it's a really interesting topic. I think weirdly, there's still a lot of taboo and shame and like complicated emotions that surround divorce. I think when you tell people you're divorced, it colors the way that they look at you, whether, and I think it's a subconscious thing, you know, technically there isn't, you know, a lot of shame associated with divorce in the society that we live in, but I think subconsciously it's still there for so many of us, including me. And I've, I've been divorced and I'm like, my parents were divorced both before they got together. So yeah, I'm super excited to like dive into the topic. So you said that Sometimes when you tell people you're divorced, it colors the way they look at you. Mm -hmm. How do you think it does that? Because I've I've definitely had hitty looks or like, or just like they almost double take of like, oh, I didn't expect that. And now I have to judge you in a different way. Yes, definitely. I definitely like see a look come across people's face. It's definitely, it's usually surprise. I think quite often with me, 
because of the way I look. And this is really giving me a lot more credit than I'm due. I, I don't think I look that wild, but until recently I had a shaped head. I've now got a bleach blonde mullet. I've got piercings, tattoos. I quite often dress like a teenager. I think people don't expect that I would have ever been married, never mind about divorced. So I think there's definitely that. People look at me and think, well, you don't look like the marrying type. And then there's the, I feel like people kind of look at me with this, like, oh, we need to kind of factor in now that maybe you're really like more experienced, but not in a good way. Like maybe you're (laughs) going to be jaded or like bitter or like, you know, like, oh, you're hard done by, or you've had a bit of a hard knock life, (laughs) which is, and, and to me, honestly, it feels weird that I was married and divorced. When I, when I say it, it kind of feels weird coming out of my mouth. I don't feel personally like a person that would have gotten married and divorced. So yeah, there's like a lot of complex emotions around it. And I can definitely sense the switch in people. It's almost like I've aged 15 years in their mind when I tell them. Yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? Of Because I get a lot of messages from people who listen, who are, you know, under 40, let's say. And quite often people won't assume that they've had time to get married and been divorced. And, you know, I got divorced when I was like 30. So people would always look at me like, oh, what? but you've worked quick. <laughs> yeah, same. I think I was um, at 30 when I when we separated, you know, 31, maybe by the time the divorce officially came through. Um, so, yeah, exactly the same for me. So take us back to that time when you separated and got divorced. Where were you in your life when all this was happening? So I had gotten married very quickly. I should say, um, you know, my work is that I'm a codependency coach. I'm a recovering codependent myself. Um, I have basically been in relationships constantly since the age of 13 up to when I got divorced at 30. So like all of my adult and some of my child life, I have been in relationships, mostly toxic dysfunctional relationships quite often with narcissistic people. And that's what happened when I got married. I married someone who was narcissistic. We got married very quickly, very common for codependent people. Um, So within eight months, we met in January, we were married by August. And then I think we were together for about 18 months, maybe when we separated the first time. We separated for about six weeks, two months-ish, packed all my stuff up in a car, parked it around the corner, waited for him to get home from work, told him that I was leaving the next day and ran away to live with a friend down in the Southwest. I'm from the Midlands and then bounced back into it because I really just didn't have anywhere else to go. And he was promising change. And so I went back and then a few months later, nothing had changed. And that's when we officially separated. And again, like the, the relationship had kind of really chipped away at me. I had had all kinds of arguments in my own head with myself and tried to bargain with myself around staying in the marriage. Cause again, you know, I, I am a very like liberal progressive person. I'm a feminist. I have it tattooed on my chest. Like I, I really mean it. As I said, I'm a, I've come from a family where both my parents were divorced before they got together. Um, and I have a sister from my mom's first marriage. So it was like never a secret, It was never something that there was shame around, but I did feel just like such a heavy sense of shame and embarrassment. And I think it's because there was so much weight for me in the marriage and the idea that as a codependent person, that somebody wanted me and that I'd kind of locked that down. And as a person with an an anxious attachment style, now moving more into a secure attachment style, but like definitely still lean anxious, the idea that that was something that I never had to think about again. And someone had like literally agreed, they'd signed a contract that they were going to love me forever. <laughs> the idea that I was going to choose to break that off just came with like so much heaviness and so much shame. And I think one of the most, one of the saddest things that I kind of thought to myself was, well, I know I'm not going to be with this person forever this is not a fulfilling relationship for me. I don't want to be with them, but 
maybe if I just stay in it for 10 years, that's kind of like a legitimate amount of time to be married. Like, and then I'll just divorce him then. And this was like a year or 18 months in. Wow. These were the kind of bargaining arguments I was having, having with myself. And then the question that got me out of it was, what will 60-year-old you say to 30-year-old you? And 60-year-old me would say, why the fuck did you waste time when you were fucking young and beautiful and full of potential? And not that 60-year-old people are not also full of potential and beautiful, but like, you know, your back doesn't hurt. (laughs) And you've got like so much life in you. Why are you wasting it in a relationship with this person? You've got one precious life. Why didn't you get us out of that sooner? And I was like, okay, I'm doing it for 60 year old me. And yeah, that was what kind of got me out of it. And it, it changed my life in so many ways. I had to, I moved out of the marital home. I stopped my business for a while. I got a full-time job um, just because I needed to do like, I was going through the motions of life at that time. So yeah, that was I guess that's the potted history of my divorce story. So interesting that you were trying to bargain with yourself that you'd stay for another nine years. (laughs) It's wild. I'd still be married to him. Yeah. Why do you think 10 years is an okay amount of time to get divorced after? I don't know. It just, I was like, oh, that seems like legit. That seems like you've put the effort in. That seems like you've tried. Maybe it's like being a, like a Y2K kid, you know, being born in the 80s and growing up in the sort of height of uh, gossip magazine era and remembering like Nicole Kidman and Tom Cruise getting divorced and I think they'd been married for 10 years and for some reason I think that was in my head because that was like a long Hollywood marriage that's that was a long time for people in Hollywood to be married and I was like oh so I don't think I consciously thought that but for some reason I was like yeah that that's legit that looks like you've tried and so ironic. He was not thinking that. He was not thinking about putting effort into the marriage or how do I make this? And he he's already been married and divorced before me. So he wasn't considering, you know, how to make this marriage work, how to, you know, have it be, you know, long and successful and fruitful. Just little old me. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's funny though, because I was only married for probably about 18 months. And I still feel embarrassed when I say that because it doesn't sound long enough. And people are like, oh, well, someone asked me if I um, if I gave like my wedding gifts back to the people <laughs> who gave them to me. I was like, no, I still got married, still had a house. But yeah, because it sounds like, oh, how can you even try and make it work if it's just 18 months? But you know, you know, when you know. Yeah, for sure. I uh, just want to say on that point, nobody wants an 18-month-old blender back. So <laughs> true. <laughs> and if they gave you cash, it's long gone. Um, <laughs> Very true. You know, I work with a lot of women who have been in marriages for decades, you know, fruitless, loveless marriages where there's emotional abuse, where there's toxicity, there's dysfunction. And I know... I think, you know, that look of like shock and kind of the way it colors me in people's eyes almost like changes back a little bit when I, if I say I was only married for 18 months, I'm like, oh yeah, okay, that makes more sense. Like, because you don't, it doesn't seem, you don't look like the kind of person that would get married in the first place. But if you were only married for 18 months, yeah, you definitely look like that kind of person in the same way that people think I always take loads of drugs. And I don't, I am such a nerd. I've never done anything cool or fun in my life. Um, <laughs> Not that drugs are cool or fun. Well, I mean, it depends who you ask, but like, <laughs> this, is, this is what I've heard from the kids. Um, <laughs> Listen, codependency coaching is cool and fun. Okay, thank you. Yeah, I think so. Um <laughs> But yeah, whilst everybody was off partying, I was definitely like reading self-development books. So, <laughs> Do you think people don't take the marriage seriously because it was so short? Mm, I don't think people take the fact that I was married seriously in the first place. So I think it, that that matches up in their head. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe. I, I'm assuming all of this, but, you know, I'm hypersensitive and hypervigilant. I'm constantly reading people's facial expressions and the change in the cadence of their breath and all of that. So <laughs> not on purpose, hashtag is the trauma. Um, 
And that's just kind of the impression that I get. They're like, oh yeah, that adds up. Yeah, you would, de- you would definitely have like done something wild, like marry someone after eight months and then leave them after 18 months. That makes sense. It's interesting. I, I feel like when I say to people I was only married for 18 months, they sort of look at me like, oh, well, that's not a proper marriage. But then mm. I say we were together for nearly a decade. Mm. And then they're like, oh, okay, that is, that's proper again now. And it's like these judgments of you can't have gone through what I've been through because it was a shorter amount of time. And obviously it always changes with time and everyone's experience is different. But I definitely felt when I was telling people I got divorced that I always had to say we were together for nearly a decade. Yes. Um, You know, I work with a lot of women who've been in, who have been in marriages and relationships for decades. Sometimes it's their only relationship they've ever been in since they were, you know, children, basically teenagers. And I see how devastating that can be to somebody's self-worth to be in a, you know, a loveless, fruitless, toxic, dysfunctional marriage for so long. And so because I think maybe because I f- don't feel as judged by people because of the, the length of my marriage, because I feel people maybe think it makes more sense for me to have had a short marriage, that I actually feel completely okay with it. I actually feel kind of smart in a way. And like, mm, maybe a little bit smug, not really, but kind of like, yay me that I got out quickly. And I, I feel exactly the same way whenever I speak to clients who like manage to spot what's going on and like get out quickly. I'm like, yes, well done you. Don't waste your life in something loveless and unfulfilling because life is so short and there are definitely people who are out there out there who are a better match for you. So yeah, I guess that's kind of how I feel about having a relatively short marriage. And I also see people, quite a lot of people in that situation where they've had a long relationship, but it was something about getting married that almost made them wake up and be like, shit, I do not want to be in this. Yeah, that's interesting because I felt like in my relationship, you know, everything you're taught is like, this is leading towards marriage. And then you get there and you're like, oh, Oh no. <laughs> now there's a contract keeping me here. <laughs> oh. Um so you are a codependency coach. Mm-hmm. I think we hear that word a lot codependency, but what does it actually mean? So my like quick definition of codependency is that it is an addiction to external validation and to dysfunctional relationships. Interesting. So how might you recognize the signs? of you being codependent? So there are a few like common signs and I use the word addiction and some people think, well, that's not me. I'm not an addict or that sounds a bit strong. You know, maybe I'm a bit of a people pleaser, but I'm not an addict. But my definition of an addiction is anything that we do to escape ourselves. And when you broaden it to that, actually so many of us have, you know, addictions, co-addictions, things that whether we've realized them or not. And so for codependent people, it's that addiction to needing external validation, like needing it. We're social creatures, human beings. We, we want, and we thrive on, you know, external validation, praise, love, affection, social interaction. But when we need it, like we need it. Like if you don't know who you are, unless you're being validated externally, that is a sign of codependency. That's what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about like enjoying affection or like it feeling nice when you get a pat on the back for doing something at work. Like that's normal. So there are a few more signs that I can share with people. So giving to the point of exhaustion, resentment, um, repeated patterns of dysfunctional relationships. So getting into relationships with people who are just not a match for you, who are emotionally unavailable, um, who have other kind of dysfunctions going on, whether it's like being narcissistic or also being codependent themselves, um, chronic people pleasing, um, infantilizing partners. So like completely taking over the life of a partner and taking care of them and doing absolutely everything for them. And uh, that plays into the fact that codependent people are actually quite manipulative and controlling, but in a kind way, not in a vindictive way, but it's quite often codependent people have grown up in chaos. Um, And so 
controlling somebody in that way makes us feel safe and it makes us feel like they're less likely to leave because we try and make ourselves like irreplaceable in their life. Like, well, if I, you know, do everything around the house for you and I kind of take care of making all your appointments and do everything for you, you're not going to leave me. And, and we use people as anchors in that way. Like we desperately don't want people to leave us. We fundamentally have a lack of self-worth because it was never instilled in us as children. And we also have this kind of weird inferiority superiority complex where we, as I said, have this fundamental lack of self-worth and we kind of don't really feel good enough to have a, you know, a secure loving partnership, for example, but at the same time, we kind of think that we can do everything better than everyone else and we can kind of run other people's lives better than they can. And that plays into that whole thing of like manipulating with kindness and taking control of a partner's life. And, you know, and people do it in it's not just about romantic relationships. You can be codependent in every area of your life. So people do this with parents, with children, um, at work, with friends. So, yeah, that's kind of like a, a quick rundown of some common aspects of codependency and how people might recognize it in themselves. It's interesting because I think it wasn't until I started seeing a therapist, maybe at the end of my marriage, because my dad had died, that I started realizing mainly through her that I was in a codependent relationship and what Mm. that meant and that sort of need for me to be the wife that I had in my head, even though that didn't feel like me and to kind of, yeah, look after people and fix their lives. And I think now like four years on, I've definitely done a lot of work and now, you know, dating again and having new relationships, it's, it's like the work begins again because you're back in a situation where you could easily fall into old patterns. So, um, it's, it's really interesting to talk about, and I don't think we've really talked about it on the pod before. So when did you realize that you were codependent? When I was married, uh, well, it was actually in the, when we had that first separation, so I, I knew something wasn't right. Um, I just I couldn't communicate with my partner. I was exhausted. I was overgiving. He was completely taking me for granted. Um, he never wanted to communicate. Nothing was ever changing. It was always just me trying harder and harder. And I wanted to go to a marriage counsellor, the two of us, and he refused to go with me. And actually, so thankful that he did. Um, because the marriage counsellor was fantastic. She pulled no pull, no punches uh, within the first, I explained to her what was going on. And within the first 10 minutes, she just said, you're married to a narcissist. Um, this is how this works. And I was, my mind was blown. I'd never even heard the term before. Um, you know, this was before it was, you know, all over social media. Um, and so I'd spent, I felt like I spent a good few months like researching that blaming him and and she did say yes he's narcissistic it sounds like this is what's going on but we need to work on you and I could not hear that I was like you've just told me he's a narcissist I don't know what you're talking about that none of this is my fault I haven't done anything all I do is just give and try like so codependent (laughs) I'm just an angel of of relationships and I'm just doing everything the best. Exactly. Yeah. I'm just like an angel of generosity. And like, all I do is like martyr myself and like, like, this is so unhealthy. It's so ridiculous. I I can totally relate to (laughs) feeling that as well. Yeah. So yeah, I kind of went down this rabbit hole of researching narcissism and like blaming him in my mind um, and doing all kinds of like weird shit in my relationship. And feeling very paranoid as well that he knew that I knew and not knowing what to do with it. And anyway, that whole research deep dive made me discover codependency. And then I discovered codependency and I was like, oh shit, this is me. Like, this is what the marriage counselor was talking about. And then I went to my first codependence anonymous meeting uh, when we separated for the first time. So that's exactly what it sounds like. It's uh, like Alcoholics Anonymous, but for codependent people. And my whole world changed basically from there. I didn't know they existed. How do you find a codependence anonymous meeting? 
uh, just Google it. There's loads of them um, all over the UK, all over the world. But, you know, in certain countries, there's um, there's more meetings. There's there's quite a lot of local meetings in the UK. Quite a lot of them went online um, in uh, COVID as well. So if you, even if you can't access one nearby, you can find one online as well. Uh, and you can they use the, um, the shortened version CODA, C-O-D-A. So you can also look up CODA meetings. Oh, CODA also stands for Child of Deaf Adult because I'm deaf in one ear. Oh, okay. So, <laughs> there we go. Don't confuse the two. Don't confuse or do. the two. You might be in both categories. Yeah. Um, and it, it, what was it about finding community for you? Because obviously with this podcast, one of the joys of it for me and some of the people I know that listen is finding this community of divorced people who have been through what you've been through or something slightly different and mm. you feel less alone and you can kind of see yourself in other experiences. What was it about finding community of, of other codependent people that helped you, do you think? I think just knowing that what was happening to me was a common experience, um, that I wasn't alone because what I experienced in my marriage, particularly, and I guess in lots of my relationships, was the normalization of what was a very dysfunctional relationship. Um, I remember speaking to a friend um, who was also married to a narcissist, and we actually got divorced around the same time, which was great because it meant that we got to go through it together. Um, and it was actually quite a fun time in our lives for that reason. Like, <laughs> very kind of traumatic and uh, an emotional roller coaster but we had lots of fun in that time as well kind of going through it together but whilst we were still married I remember having this conversation with her and saying like we were both married to men like why why don't men get it like they put in so much effort at the beginning and then it drops off and it's stupid because if you want to be in a relationship forever it should be the other way around. It should be like putting less effort at the beginning and like ramp it up and build it up sustainably bit by bit over time so that your love grows and the appreciation and the relationship grows. Like, why don't they get it? Obviously we didn't know at the time we were talking about narcissistic people who had love bombed us. And I, and I remember saying like expressing some frustration about what some things that were going on in my relationship to her. And she said, well, you've got to pick your battles. And it's like, you can't, he's only a bloke. You can't expect anything of him. You can't actually expect him to like love you, care for you, respect you, communicate with you, pick up his share of the household chores, um, you know, not be a dick about money. You've got to pick, you know, pick one or two because you're only going to get one or two from him. And it's had so many conversations throughout my life where these dysfunctional bullshit relationship tropes were completely normalized. And I think so many um, particularly heterosexual women will really relate to that where you go around to your mate's house, you have some wine, you moan about your partner, you blow off steam. And because you've blown off a little bit of steam, you're able to go back into it and cope again. But should you be coping as you, as the main part of your relationship? Right. And so for so much of my life, I'd have found community in normalizing dysfunction. And all of a sudden I found it through CODA community in calling out dysfunction this is all the shit that we do. This is the reason that we've had dysfunctional relationships all our lives. We don't want to do it anymore. Yeah. Because I was going to ask you what dysfunction means, but I think you've covered it there of like that, that kind of coping. Yeah. Just unhealthy, like unhealthy, not reciprocal, unfulfilling, you know, right up to the point of where somebody is being actively abusive to you in all the ways that that can happen, you know, emotionally, psychologically, financially, uh, physically, sexually, you know, all of these different ways that we actually do put up with abuse and dysfunction because they're so normalized. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting. The more I sort of looked into obviously doing this podcast and getting divorced myself and my codependency and, and you start looking into all of these things like narcissism and things. And the more that I looked into all of that, I realized that abuse wasn't necessarily the way I'd always imagined it of, mm. of physical abuse, but also 
you know, I imagine sexual abuse as being something close to assault, whereas actually sexual abuse can be kind of withholding sex and dangling like it like a carrot. If you do something good, you get this reward and and, you know, all sorts of different scenarios like that. It's not always you being forced to do something. It's you being controlled with that thing, like it might be money or um, and I think that was a really interesting realization just for me and the way I viewed things. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Ding dong. It's the ad break. This podcast is sponsored by Penguin in the Room, an award-winning company that can manage your business's social media. They even manage our podcast, Instagram and Twitter. Just email info at penguinintheroom.com for a quote. Also, if you'd like to support the podcast, you can by buying merchandise from our website, www.thedivorcesocial.com. Ding dong! With the clients that you work with, what do you think is the biggest hurdle to kind of get through of that codependency? If someone's listening and they're like, oh, that's me. What what can I do? What do I need to put into place? I think the hardest thing that people struggle with in the beginning is who am I if I'm not that? You know, we define ourselves by... As I kind of described earlier, this feeling that we are, you know, generous, giving, kind, loving people, you know, all we've done is try and give and, you know, tried our best and tried our hardest and just given so much to everyone around us. And if I'm not that, well, what does that mean? Do I have to be like a cold, hard bitch? And like, I don't want to be that way. And it's like, no. That's definitely a healthy middle ground. <laughs> it's not one or the other. <laughs> it's really not one or the other. You're not a villain or a hero. But it's so much of like, again, what's normalized in society, right? And again, for particularly for women and people socialized female, they are the options that we're given. You know, be a cold, hard, selfish bitch or be everything that society has told you that you should be. You know, the wife, the mother, the lover, pleasing everyone, doing everything for everyone, being selfless. and you don't have to be either of those. You can actually be, you know, a, a person with good self-worth who is fulfilled, happy, loving, has loving relationships in your life and, you know, and also has boundaries around that and gives within your means and is aware of, you know, what's really important to you. Like it is possible. It seems wild. It seems so alien to so many people when they first come across this idea of codependency. Um, And, you know, one of the biggest aspects of recovering from codependency is building self-worth. And there are some, you know, practical things that you can do to start putting that in place. And for you personally, so you discovered you were codependent through this marriage counsellor and then you broke up and you were starting to get divorced. What were the things that you did that worked or didn't work? to try and get yourself through that period of time? Um, Yeah. So as I mentioned, I moved out of the marital home for kind of logistical reasons, but I also did just want to go. Um, I went to live in 
what was called a young professionals house. It was definitely a house full of people, full of boys who had just graduated and it was gross. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, wow. It was really weird to be there renting it, but it was a, it was a furnished room and it was cheap and it was simple. And that is what I needed. I needed simple, easy, something that I could move straight into, something that I could afford. Because I literally like told him that we were done and then moved out a week later. So you know, it needed to be like quick and easy. Really hilarious being a woman in her late twenties, going through a divorce, moving in with basically student boys, um, <laughs> like having to tell them, I mean, out of the frying pan into the fire, having to tell them to like brush the toilet and <laughs> do the dishes and stuff. <laughs> wow. So funny. Um, but another thing that I did was, I, I mean, my room was my sanctuary and as I said, I needed it to be simple and easy. I needed to ha- I needed to have to think about as little as possible in that time. And so that's what I did. I took on a six month contract, rented a furnished room. I paused my coaching business. I went and got a full-time job that with quite a decent salary, um, which was like two miles away from the home that I now lived in, my little rented room. Just having that... Um, you know, having that regular money coming in, I didn't feel capable of listening to other people's problems and helping them at that time in my life. There was stuff that I needed to work through. So just simplifying in that way really eased me through. Um, I was not on social media. It was almost like I kind of disappeared off the face of the earth for six months in terms of online life. But in real life, I was really showing up. Um, I just did everything that made me happy. Um, I was also uh, producing a podcast, like as a little side hustle for somebody else on the side, like a really cool radio presenter who had met just like a chance meeting. So I was doing that in my evenings as well. I trained for a half marathon very loosely um, and went over to Tallinn and Estonia, ran a half marathon with a bunch of friends. Um, just like went on nights out, got dolled up, felt amazing, you know, danced, pied with my friend who was also getting divorced at the same time. Um, although the company that I worked at was, you know, very toxic and not a nice place to work, met some fantastic friends there that I'm still friends with now. And I just kind of threw myself into my life in the biggest way possible. You know, I'm making it sound like it was super fun. Obviously there were nights when I just felt numb and awful and I felt lost. And through a lot of that period, I felt lost as well because I've run an online business and been a coach for a long time. And there were moments where I thought like, oh, is this it for me now? Like, I'm not going to have an online presence I'm just going to hide. I'm going to have an office job. I'm going to be like a, I'm going to be the normal person that my parents have always wanted me to be. (laughs) (laughs) Like, is that it for me? And of course, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. If that is, you know, you, and that's what you're happy with, but it's not me. And then, you know, there was fear and there was fear that I'm, I was going to get lost in that and I was never going to come back, but there was always a spark inside me that kind of said like, no, just keep going it will come back when you're ready. And I just needed time to rest. You know, I needed everything to be as simple as possible, as easy as possible, as low pressure as possible. And that's kind of what I created for myself. And yeah, a year later, I was like a new woman. Well, that sounds very nice. Um, I threw myself into work and I had a regular income, but it was still... I was working on a show called Magic Mike Live. So it was still quite arty and wild. And um, and I went out a lot and had a lot of sex. Um, <laughs> I had a lovely time. Um, <laughs> so how did this kind of recovery process and you pausing your coaching business before then turn into you being a codependency coach? So I'd literally done like years and years of self-development work before that. Um, I had, as I said, had been a coach for some time already, had like published a book and done all kinds of things in like the online kind of coaching sphere, went through my own codependency recovery process, realized through that, that I had actually been working with codependent people. I mean, working with women 
exclusively you're always going to come across codependent people because so many of us are codependent um but i definitely without being able to put a name to it been working with people on things like putting boundaries in place and uh, building self-worth practices and that kind of thing and so when i started on my recovery journey it fell into place so quickly for me there was very little resistance like i in codependence anonymous there's a list of um like traits and characteristics and there was no resistance in any of it for me i read through it and i was like yeah that is me and started to put in place kind of started to apply all the work that i'd done to you know codependency recovery specifically and so it was really easy for me to then transition and uh, create a program and a course around like what I'd learned, kind of translating it into language outside of that. Because, you know, Codependence Anonymous is a 12 step program, um, which isn't accessible to everybody. It isn't it doesn't fit for everybody. It, it has like some religious language in it and that kind of thing, which is a block for people for lots of different reasons. Um, and so my work has always been like very down to earth very i hope like relatable and real and like no bullshit and so it was very easy for me to then like translate it through my own life and then into my work it just felt like a natural progression um i talk about it every day <laughs> i think about it every day and i never get bored of it and i love helping people like I, yeah, it's the same stuff every day and I never get bored of talking about it. I never get bored of helping people out of it. And it's just, I feel it, it's almost feels like a personal win for me every time somebody gets out of a dysfunctional relationship or they go to another level of self-worth or they put boundaries in place with a, you know, like a toxic family member. I'm like, yes, like it's like a next level of freedom unlocked for these women and female socialized people. And oh yeah, I just love it. <laughs> Oh, I can see your kind of passion for it. It's interesting because when I started this podcast about divorce, when I was getting divorced, I thought, God, how how long can I keep this going? Will I still be able to talk about divorce? Like, when I'm actually probably divorced and then when I'm like moving on with my life and dating new people and yeah, the answer is yeah. There's so much, there's also so much nuance with, with all of this stuff. And I'm definitely learning new things all the time. Like I'm learning from our conversation today and we're on, you know, for eight full series of the podcast in. Um, so you, you realize you're codependent. You do a lot of work and a lot of kind of healing, I guess, and like self-worth mm. stuff and identifying traits and putting in boundaries. And then you start going out into the world and dating again and having new relationships mm -hmm. how does that change the scenario because I've definitely felt that since I've started dating again I find myself doing bad things um, mm -hmm. that I used to do in my past relationship because that's what I'm just used to doing and then I notice it and go oh, hang on no no yeah <laughs> So I definitely did the classic codependent thing. So what I want to say about, you know, codependent recovery is it's not like a one and done. It is a, it's a lifelong practice for sure. Um, you know, it's when you're conditioned so, so young and so deeply, it's something that you're always practicing. It's not that it's always going to be as hard work as the first year or two, but it's something that you're always conscious of and you're always working on. Um, and it comes in stages. And I definitely did the very codependent thing of just getting into slightly less toxic relationships, <laughs> like slightly less dysfunctional relationships. And so there were, you know, a couple of relationships after my divorce where there were some really good parts of it, but there were also some bits that were very off about those people. I did not marry them. That's a win. <laughs> yeah. Um, they didn't last that long. So I got out of them relatively quickly. And I took something from each of those relationships. And I started to really refine what it was that I wanted from a relationship. And until the relationship that I'm in now, so uh, I'm in a relationship, we've been together for about eight or nine months. I think this is actually the first relationship I've ever wanted. I've ever actively wanted in my life. So when I was dating, I was dating for a relationship. And 
I'm almost 36. Up to this point, I don't think I've ever wanted any of my relationships. I've just gotten into them because the person wanted me or because there was that codependent part of me that just wanted an anchor of a person. And so I settled for people that weren't a match for me or I molded myself to those people. And so did a couple of, had a couple of relationships after the divorce, as I say, that were like varying levels of fucked up, but definitely much better than the marriage. (laughs) I love the honesty. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and then had a period of singledom last year, which was great. Very much enjoyed myself. And then got to a point where I was like, okay, done with that now. Ready to date. Met a couple of really cool people who definitely could have been relationship material, but for various reasons just weren't, wasn't the right place or time with them. And again, let go of those very quickly. Like didn't even really get past dating stage with those people, even though... There was, I knew enough at that point that there was like good relationship potential in those people, really good compatibility. And then met my current boyfriend and it was a completely different like scenario, completely different situation because I had learned so much at that point. Like (laughs) I've had so many fucking relationships, (laughs) so many relationships, dated so many people, like hooked up with quite a lot of people also like. I was very clear on what I wanted. I was very clear on what my must-haves were, what my nice-to-haves are, and what my absolute like hard boundaries, red flags are. I am, I am a lover. I am a Cancerian. <laughs> I'm, I'm codependent. I'm recovering codependent. I'm my physical, my love language is physical touch and words of affirmation. I'm like so affectionate. And I really made a big effort to like hold back on like not giving too much too soon Um, when I met my current boyfriend and he still like jokes about it now that I'm, I'm a completely different person in the relationship than when we first started dating. Like my personality was there for sure, but I was just so boundaried around what I was willing to give. Um, uh, yeah, in, in lots of different ways. Like I had a, you know, no sex or physical intimacy before the fifth date rule. And I was like, oh, by the way, that doesn't mean that on date five, we're definitely having sex. You know, I'm just letting you know that even like before then it's a hard no. And then maybe afterwards we'll see where we go. I was, I, I let him show me, you know, who he was. I also knew the kind of questions that I needed to ask. I knew the the information that I needed to know from him. I didn't fill in any of the blanks for him. I didn't fantasize him into existence. And yeah, obviously like he passed all the tests because so real. <laughs> <laughs> so what advice would you give someone? Because I guess this this new boundaried world is great, but also sometimes difficult to put in place. And especially dating, you know, when you're slightly older, be it your 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, people come with their own set of baggage, as we like to call it. Yeah. How do you know when the relationship is toxic if Mm. someone's coming with their own baggage? A good sign that somebody is, you know, relatively healthy And what I mean by relatively healthy is that they know the ways that they're fucked up and they're working on it, right? Is is that they can, they have a good level of self-awareness, they communicate well, they offer up information to you, you know, just logistical information about their lives, but also about their experiences and how that's affected them. They have that level of awareness and they're doing something to work on it, you know, and that can look like lots of different things. It's not just like if a person's in therapy, but, you know, just being able to talk to you about it, being able to express their feelings, being able to tell you like what's going on, how they feel about it. it. So that's what I would say that you're looking out for in terms of the other person. In terms of just like dating advice, post-pandemic dating is like the Wild West. <laughs> 
I, I just want to like with wish... hats and cowboy boots. Yeah, and like gunslinging <laughs> and like it's wild. It is wild and like you know bar fights and saloons. It's literally like that. Um, <laughs> the pandemic has done has psychologically harmed us in ways that we are not going to fully understand for decades. Anecdotally, what I'm hearing from people is. So the, the studies that have been done and they're self-reported studies, so they're not always particularly accurate because we're really bad at self-reporting. But the self-reported studies say that people actually want a relationship more now than they did pre-pandemic, which makes sense, right? Because a lot of it was very isolating time. It was very lonely for a lot of people. It really kind of made us think, oh, fuck, like this is what it is to just live in this house on my own and not be able to see anyone. Wouldn't it be really nice to have someone here? At the same time, people were starved of the ability to like go out, have fun, flirt, meet new people, hook up, have sex, like all of these things. And so what I'm seeing anecdotally is that people are out dating and the people they're dating kind of don't really know what they want. So they think they want a relationship and they start moving towards a relationship and then they go, oh, no, I want to go out and just do casual again for a while. And then they do that and they're like, this is actually isn't, you know, it's fun, but it isn't that fulfilling ultimately. So I want to look for a relationship again. And people are just like pinballing at the moment. They don't really know what they want. Also, we all just got a lot more online. So loads more people are on dating apps than ever were before. People who perhaps don't necessarily really don't know what they're looking for. They don't know why they're there. They're just there to like kill some time. So I want to reassure anyone who is like struggling with dating post pandemic that you're not alone. This is very much the situation for lots of us. And it can feel really, really disheartening because if you're online dating, which let's face it, most of us are who are dating, most of us are not doing it the old school way and wouldn't even know where to start with that but it's still definitely an option. You can sit on your phone half-heartedly watching a TV show and you can swipe left. Left's the bad one, right? Yeah. (laughs) You can swipe no on 500 people in a night. And maybe you swipe right on like five people. That's a realistic ratio. Just a heads up. You know, if you went, and I try and like make it realistic for people. You know, if you went to like a massive, you know, super club, in like Prague, <laughs> something, you know, this huge nightclub and there's like four floors, there's 5,000 people there and you want to like cook up, you want to, you know, snog somebody or go home with somebody. You're looking for one person, <laughs> one person out of those 5,000 people, one person that you fancy enough who also fancies you. And if you don't manage to meet that person, you might be like, uh, you might be a bit disappointed, but you still go back the next week And you don't think that, you know, defines you as a person or that you're not good enough or, oh my God, this is such hard work. You just go out and enjoy it and have fun and do it again. But with online dating, it's given us this idea that because there are literally like thousands of people in my phone, why is it so hard to find somebody? It's always been fucking hard to find somebody. It wasn't hard to find somebody when our grandparents were looking for someone because it was literally like, who's single in your age group in your town? And again, like the the pool was so much smaller. Now we have this much bigger pool and we're so shocked and upset that relationships and dating takes work and takes time. And there are loads of misses and near misses. And then of course, when you start putting boundaries in place and you get to really know yourself, it makes your pool even smaller. So I think just being realistic about that, not beating yourself up, there are definitely some, you know, outside forces that are changing the way people date and people respond to you know the potential of a relationship but relationships of dating have always been hard they've always taken work they've always taken effort and I know that if you have even a modicum of self-worth you would much rather be single for the next couple of years and hold out for a fantastic relationship with somebody, you know, loving and kind and respectful who gives you everything you've ever wanted than just settle for the next person that pops up on your dating app. Because like, 
it makes you hyperventilate for a minute, the thought of being single for the next two years. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, also I was single, I'm dating someone now, but I was single for like four years, nearly three and a half, four years. And if you'd have told me that before, I'd be like, oh my God, I can't be single for that long. And actually I needed it. And I had, you know, and obviously it was hard and I was like, I'm never going to find anyone. And why can't I date anyone nice? And all of those things. But I also had brilliant times. And now I'm very glad I was single for that long. Exactly. Um, Just to round off, if anyone is listening and they are in a codependent relationship and they're not happy and they don't feel fulfilled, any words of advice or wisdom that might help at this time other than get out of it (laughs) but you know what is there any practical steps or things that people can think about I would actually not advise people to get out unless they know that they're really ready to get out it's really dangerous for codependent people to just try and like you know make a rash decision and exit a relationship because the likelihood is that you'll just bounce back into it and it's kind of like when a bone breaks it's always stronger where the break is um because then you have like this you know, this shared like drama, this shared trauma of like the break and the coming back together and it's all romanticized and all that kind of thing. So what I would say is like, if you're listening to this podcast and, you know, you're having a little moment of hyperventilation, like, oh shit, that's me. That's my relationship. What do I do? I need to leave. (laughs) Take your time. Try and like, try and be as calm as possible. Try and ground yourself into the reality of your situation um, the reality of what's happening in your relationship, the way is that it doesn't match up with what you want, what you desire, what you deserve. Also getting realistic around the logistics of what it will take to exit the relationship. You know, if you, if you live with this person or if you have, you know, children together, or if you have shared assets, like what will that mean to exit the relationship? Because codependency loves chaos right? So if you leave in a very chaotic way, that is a way where your codependency is going to flare up. I'm going to be like, see, told you, you should have just stayed with the person. So you want to be as calm and measured and grounded as you possibly can. And you can start codependent recovery whilst you're in a relationship with somebody. So starting like self-worth building, you know, practical self-worth building exercises, you know, carving out space and time for yourself in your own life. Um, I, I also have a podcast. It's called the, um, the anti-people pleasing podcast. Like check that out. That's I answer listener questions. You're going to find so much helpful information there as well. Um, so that's like a really nice kind of comforting resource. You're going to get like loads of advice off of the back of other people's situations. And I give advice around like how to start building self-worth as well, you know, start reading books, start, start experimenting with putting boundaries in place in your relationship. That's also going to help you ground into maybe the fact that it's not really working because when people start overstepping explicitly stated boundaries, it feels very uncomfortable and it starts to help you feel more solid in like who you are, the fact that maybe this isn't working for you and you deserve something better. Amazing. And where can people find you online and follow you? Um, so I hang out on Instagram. I'm at Joe Westwood. Um, my website's joewestwood.com. And yeah, as I mentioned, my podcast, you can find that in all the podcast places. It's called the Anti-People Pleasing Podcast. Amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Oh, hi. Thank you for listening to The Divorce Social with me, Samantha Baines. Please leave us a review. Please, please. Um, It would be super nice. They're lovely to read. They keep me cheery and happy and keep me going. Uh, But also it affects our listing in the podcast charts, uh, which are very important because that's how more people find the podcast. And I'd love to help more people get through those really tough heartbreak and divorce times. And they're more likely to find us if we're higher up on the charts. So if you'd like to leave a review, I'd love you forever. You can leave them on iTunes is the big one or most podcast platforms do them as well. I'll take all the reviews you've got to give. You can also uh, get in contact on Twitter and Instagram at DivorcePod and at Samantha Baines. We have a website, thedivorcesocial.com and we have a Patreon account, which means that you can support the podcast for as little as £2 a month and it helps me with all the admin costs. It also means you have access to our 90 style divorce and heartbreak chat room and there's lots of exclusives on there, little bits of audio that you don't get in the main podcast and some giveaways as well. So I'd love to see you over on Patreon. That's patreon.com forward slash Samantha Baines and please leave a review. Did I say that already? Please leave a review. Love you forever.